0: back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. It is a wonderful day here in southern New Jersey, and I'm excited to be with you again this week. My name is Tim Pasek. I'm one of the ruling elders at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined in our studio, aka his office, um, by my fellow elder and our pastor, Phil Henry. Phil, how are you today?
1: Thank you, Tim. I'm fantastic. Got my coffee and uh, excited about our conversation today.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. It, admittedly, it's been a couple weeks. It's that time of year now where there's holidays and graduations and, you know, kind of little gremlins in the calendar that get in the way, if you will. Um, so it has been a couple weeks since we last recorded. and So we have a lot to talk about, but we, we'll try not to bite off too much Today and focus on um, this past Sunday's sermon primarily, um, which again for for those who have been following along with us, our loyal <laughs> our loyal <laughs> listeners, we're we're continuing in First Peter. We've um, just now made it into chapter four, um, and your sermon this past Sunday, Phil, was verses one through six in First Peter four. Um, so that's that's going to be a, the main focus of our conversation. I think we'll probably get the opportunity to bounce back into the previous week's sermon as well, just because there's a little bit of connection in the text between that's true. the end of three and and four. So I think it will be inevitable. But we'll we'll focus on the most recent sermon in particular, which you had titled um, "What Time Is It?" and uh, this is my. Um, weekly reminder to hit pause and go listen to Phil's sermon and then come back and resume what we're going to take up talking about. Um, and I'll include the link to the webpage for the sermon that has already been posted on our website. Um, but before we, we dive into uh, the sermon itself and, and some, you know, a deeper take on some of those topics, Phil, we often talk some homiletics here for fun. And um, I had noticed in your your previous week's sermon at the end of chapter three, and then even this week's sermon, there were there were a couple of parts. You, you didn't exposit the text like verse by verse, hmm. right? And particularly last week, you specifically called out that there were things in the text that you weren't going to talk about. Yeah. Um, and so I was wondering... You know, as as a preacher as a pastor how do you make those decisions when is it wise to make mm-hmm. those decisions what if someone came to you and said well like you didn't you didn't talk about you didn't talk about a couple of those verses i'd like to know about those verses how come you didn't mm-hmm. preach on those so maybe um you know get a glimpse into your mind or your approach on that
1: it's a great question i go into the pulpit um not trying to hit a home run but trying to get on base and I define that in a certain way and actually my wife and I have created a bit of a a partnership in this in that she's my she's the I'm the first listener of the sermon because I hear it before it's preached but she's the the first listener in the church and um so getting on base for me get a base hit uh automatically tells me I'm not trying to get a home run. I'm not trying to hit it out of the park. Um, that immediately circumscribes any pride or over overworking. The, tent, the temptation, it's like, I know you like to play golf, Tim, and, and I do too, and golf is counterintuitive, it doesn't necessarily go farther if you swing harder. In some ways for us young guys or you know, rookies, uh, amateurs, um, swinging harder will almost always result in hooking the ball or slicing it into the woods. And, you know, the length of the shaft and the, the angle on the club face is what controls the distance Mm -hmm. if you would just swing it smooth and really slow so in some ways by saying I'm not hitting it out of the park I'm I'm adopting that concept that God in his in his church through Christ and the Spirit will do his work if I just show up and do a few things well so already I've decided that I'm not going to cover in any given Sunday a lot of what's there. Um, and but last week in particular, there were things that, that and and in many weeks those things sort of sit just below the surface, but last week they sat right on top of of the text. You couldn't avoid it. You you'd wind up hitting it like a low beam in the basement or something, you'd bang your head on it if, unless I told you that you had to duck. And so I basically said, look, there's a low beam here. We're just going to duck right under it. And I, get, I think the other thing is that in, homiletically, by telling people that I'm not covering something, I'm actually saying something positive, which is to say, I want you to be here I'm not actually interested whether the seminary professor is tuning in today or the philosopher or the deep structure Bible critic or, or any of those people. So by, by being explicit about what I'm not covering, I'm actually communicating to the church who I expect to be listening. Hmm. So if that was your interest, I'm functionally disinviting you. Now you can choose to stay, but you're going to know that you're on the outside, not on the inside, and uh, so it's also a way of of building. Um, I learned from a, a, a great uh, pr- preacher once that you you preach to the people who aren't there. So if I went went deep on you know what the spirits in prison were in, in more than I did, and I didn't, you know, two Sundays ago I. I, I actually said it doesn't matter. I didn't just say I'm not going to cover it, but I but I went an extra step and said it doesn't actually matter. So um, I, I'm telling you that if you have friends for whom that matters, they're not welcome, and if you have friends for whom it does matter, then they are welcome. So I think it, you know in this in this Sunday. Um, I was also a little selective, but a little less explicit about what I wasn't covering. Um, I saved the preaching to the dead, for example, to the very end, and I dismissed it quickly and a little bit irreverently, you know. Um, So I'm I'm trying to encourage our church to have a, a, a climate or a culture in which theological argumentation is not as important as Christian living. So those are my thoughts on that as a ruling elder. Uh how does does that resonate with you? Does that concern you? Am I am I is my orthodoxy suspect? What are you thinking, Tim? <laughs> <clears throat>
0: no, that this that wasn't not a um that was not a probing question in the sense of <clears throat> I don't have any um Concerns or objections with how you've handled the text, um, at all, but I I do find it um, interesting and maybe even more so helpful to um, to read the Bible honestly. And to hear that from the pulpit, meaning um, we're not going to get to every single thing. You haven't thought about every single thing. No human has thought of every single thing. I could read that same passage for the rest of my life every single day, and there'd still be more depths to, to mine out of it. Um, that's helpful to hear, to, to see kind of lived out, you know, from the pulpit. And then it, it impacts me and how I read the scriptures and what I think about. Cause I'm like, Oh, what, what does that word mean? Well, let me spend an hour and, you know, look up, you know, Greek dictionaries and do every cross reference and, you know, all those kinds of things. And I'm, for, for, for what, sometimes that is helpful, but probably most of the times that's a fool's errand. And as I am personally starting to prepare for an exhortation this summer, that's a good reminder to Mm -hmm. me to, you know, again, I think you said it very eloquently, Christian living is is more important than the theological rigor, if you will. Um,
1: Most people want to know that the theological details are being tended to, Mm -hmm. but they'd rather be Uh, have the option of declining the invitation to join that conversation because they have other things. And our particular church, and I think probably most American churches, um, do well to remember that. Uh, On the other hand, we also know plenty of churches where the theological details aren't just unmentioned. They're not being tended to in any way. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually is a recipe for long-term... Uh, promoting long-term immaturity, and that is the American church. It's we are on a we are perpetually in our adolescence, refusing to mature. So I'm I'm looking to balance the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, to your point, though, I one of my goals I mentioned getting on base. One of the goals is help people understand the Bible a little better, like just a half click. That the next time they open it up on their own, it's easier to read. And so, uh, with kind of long-term, so if you listen to every one of my sermons for an entire year, I'm hoping that you'll find the Bible easier to read by a little bit every single Sunday. And so, I think this passage is easier to read, and last week's passage, with the way that I addressed the, the thorny spots, or the knotty the sections of the, mm. of the text, um, because they heard an expert say that it wasn't important, and but here's what it probably means. And for most people reading their Bible, like that's all the time they have. You know, you're reading First Peter chapter four over coffee. Next February or this July, um, you're going to hit that the rough waters of preaching to the dead. And hopefully you're going to remember, um, well, that just those are the people that heard the gospel when they were alive and were judged for it. They were brought before human authorities, soft or hard persecution, whatever it was. And now they're living with Jesus. Hopefully they can remember that or remember that it was something like that. Right. And they move on. If they feel the need to do a deep study and they come to me and say, hey, do you have any books on what you know, the various views on preaching to the dead. And so I can find, then that person needs to go to seminary for sure.
0: (laughs) So the answer is, no, I don't have any books for you. Go to seminary (laughs) you can get books.
1: Right. Well, (laughs) I'll probably probably give them some books and encourage them to take the next step in their studies, whatever it is. Yeah.
0: I I appreciate, as always, Phil, I appreciate your your insights there and thank you for letting me um, put you on the spot a little bit with that question but I, I do find it extremely helpful to um, to rem- uh, I'll put this just kind of as, as blatantly obviously as possible when we're sitting in church on Sunday and you're preaching I don't have headphones on listening to a podcast while I'm mowing the lawn you know what I mean so right. it, it is it is Helpful for me, by in my digestion of what you're preaching, to remember that you are someone who spent a week, and and more than I mean, you spent years studying and right. you know, being trained, right, and doing the work of of preaching. But you spent at least this past week preparing to share with me what God has put on your heart in this particular passage, and so that context for me is extremely. Um, encouraging and helpful to remember when I'm listening to what you're what you're sharing from the pulpit. So, uh, anyway, um, hopefully, our listeners found that um, insightful as well, and we can um, maybe take a bite out of this past week's sermon, Phil, and uh, just to kind of freshen everybody's memory if it had been a couple days since you uh you heard the sermon um your your title was what time is it and you had three points it's a time for bearing arms it's a time for suffering it's a time for hope right those are your Mm -hmm. three points um so maybe we could just we'll start at the top that one struck me i think I don't want to say most, but it, it was a strong image that you put mm-hmm. out there with bearing arms, um, and you, you're you pulling that from just verse 1, arm yourselves. Right?
1: Can we address the time theme oh, before sure. we jump in? <clears throat> Do you see time as a theme in the passage? I guess is my first question, Tim, and then my second question is, is it an important enough theme that it's effective in organizing the passage as a whole. This is somewhat homiletical, but I Mm -hmm. I, want to take it to a more practical level.
0: Yeah. So I would say yes, and I say that, um, I'll I'll just do the, the very simple good old, Bible study algorithm, look mm-hmm. for repeated words. Right. You see time repeated multiple times uh-huh. in these six verses. Particularly, or specifically in two and three. Right? So, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And then in three, for the time that is past. So you have two distinct...
1: Alright, so let's use um, g- good, excellent observation. Um, what periods of time do those two uses of time cover so the rest so, of the time in the flesh covers a certain period of time yeah and the time past covers a certain period of time
0: yeah so the the rest of the time in the f- flesh would be the future that you have in your mortal body
1: mm mm-hmm. good and then sort of today going till death. Right. Okay.
0: Um and then for the time that is past suffices for doing what Gentiles want to do. So that would be the the past. That's how I read
1: it. What what spiritually speaking though, what what kind of past are we talking about? Um, I, so I'm kind of fishing, but I don't mean to be. So, <laughs> uh, do you? I see that as my life before I put my faith in Christ. Right. Right. That, so does that resonate? Here. Yeah. Because so there's a gap. Re- he's referencing. Um, so if, if that was yesterday, then it's then the time covers all of my human existence from birth till conversion yesterday. And then today, I'm now a new believer till my end of my mortal life. But most likely, it wasn't yesterday. These have been believers for a year or two or three or ten. Yeah. It tells us most likely that these are Gentile converts. Because this is not a sin list that would characterize most Jewish converts. Right. So we see that a little bit more in James speaking to more of a, of a Jewish sensibility. And you see that in the literature as well. Yeah, We believe Peter is, is written, but James is written to a mixed congregation for sure. Tilting Jewish. Um, Peter is clearly written to a mixed congregation, perhaps tilting Gentile. Right. And this is one of the places that we go to show that reality it can't it's almost no way that Peter's diaspora congregations can be predominantly Jewish if he with such an open hand describes their past life in these vivid terms right
0: Well yeah and he says for doing what the Gentiles want to do
1: okay so so but if he's they're, if they're former Gentiles, then he's using, he's playing on Jew-Gentile in a New Covenant sense, which is also an interesting feature that didn't make the, you know, this is the deeper cut, that didn't make the sermon, but right. but the way he's conceiving of the church in Old Testament terminology in a mixed Jew-Gentile context is is a fascinating study. So we're the new Israel, 1 Peter 2.10, the people of God, Uh, he's literally quoting Exodus 19 when he's describing royal priesthood. You couldn't get more Jewish than that. We're at the Mount where the Ten Commandments are delivered with Moses on the mountain. And what God calls his people there, Peter appropriates for this context, the Diaspora Church, again, very Jewish, exilic terminology. So we have Exodus and exile, and yet it's predominantly Gentile. So, it's early enough in the New Testament era post-resurrection of Christ that the Gentiles understood themselves to be in a largely Jewish context or at least a, a, a a context in which the faith was explained and understood in Old Testament terms primarily and principally. So, you know, this is not like early second century letter. This is a mid to sort of late mid first century letter. These are these are helpful. Mm. These are helpful things, but uh, not necessarily for for a Sunday morning. It's more of a of uh technical terms. But in terms of the time, if this Gentile has been a believer since say like AD fifty to AD sixty, and he's in Asia Minor, maybe he's in um, um Antioch, okay, Um, so Turkey, Lebanon, somewhere like that. Um, Peter's saying that you spent, so you you heard about the gospel when you were 35 years old and you lived your entire adult life in the way that I'm describing Don't you think you've spent enough time doing that? And now for the last 10 years, you've been walking with Christ, and I'm hearing things that concern me, that your witness isn't sharp and effective enough, or perhaps it's too sharp. So uh, you need to be reminded about the kind of life that you're called to live until you die, this point going forward. Because I think you might be veering off course a little bit, so that, roughly speaking, the two periods that I see here are uh, my birth up until the time of my conversion, an unspecified amount of time walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus as my Savior and Lord. And then when I read or hear this letter explained, read in, in a synagogue service or in a, in a church service, from that moment till I breathe my last in this life. So it does cover the entirety of our human lives, but it's appealing to me to live out my life time-wise as a Christian, distinctively Peter's distinctive description of what Christianity should look like in a context of, uh, in a secular context of the pagan Roman Empire. Hmm. So I really like the time idea here. Because um, they, they don't know what time it is. And they've forgotten Hmm. and so um it it, it's it's a it it does i think give us a compelling concept if we can get a hold of it uh you know and i ended the the sermon by saying let's synchronize our watches so we need we need one another to to know what time it is
0: yeah Uh, i think it's really helpful and and um to kind of go along with the, the time theme or point, um, and I'm not moving us off off of that. But in your first point about you know time to bear arms, you had kind of said, "Well, you look around. You'd think, well, we're not in battle right now. Like, in fact, everything in the world tells you, no, we're, we're you're good. You know, it's we're cool, calm, and collected. We're right. not in a battle." Right. So I feel the same thing about the time aspect where we're almost lulled into this sense of forgetting what time it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we kind of in our, in our sin, <laughs> the sin in us wants that, you know, wants to be lulled into, mm-hmm. into that and go, oh, you know, it's, you know.
1: And there's, I made there's the point tomorrow. that it's some, <laughs> some pastors are happy to go along with that
0: too. Yeah. Yeah so the the um you know normally normally in a sermon or at least the way i I envision a sermon like the call to action is almost at the the end, like the application mm-hmm. this whole entire sermon is yeah, a call to action it like was. For, you started out with call to action immediately you know right right at the get go, which I really appreciated' because I think um I feel that in myself you know in in my life where i feel um a malaise if you will mm-hmm. you know or or a um let my guards down um kind of um yeah i just i find myself being tempted to be lazy in that regard um or be naive in that regard and so it's helpful I mean, we we've said this multiple times as we've gone through First Peter in this podcast. You know, this this is highly applicable mm-hmm. to us mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as the diaspora, you know, here
1: mm-hmm. today.
0: Um,
1: in the wildlands of Gloucester County, yeah, as my friend uh, Father Henry says. <laughs> so um, that's good feedback, Tim. Let let's let's pivot to to the taking up arms. The, the word is, is really cool. Um, um, you know, I, I, I love weapons and, you know, like when I go to the Philadelphia museum of art, I always go to the weapons exhibit and look at all the old coats of suits of armor, chain mail. And even, uh, when I went uh, on a date, uh, about a month or so ago with my wife to Valley Forge, their, their museum, has examples of British and American and German because we had, there were Hessians involved Mm. and uh, French weapons of the time. And it's, the whole Valley Forge exhibit is nicely renovated in the last couple of years. It's really a a very well done museum, highly commended. And they've got a great book section too, if you're (laughs) interested in Revolutionary War history. So, but um, the word, for arm yourself is based off of the Greek term for soldier, which is a hoplite. And it's actually a the verb version of hoplite is what Peter employs here when he says arm yourself. And so um, while it doesn't necessarily have to mean or indicate a military co- context, I think, I think in this case it, it really does, because as I've, as I've observed the movement of Peter's argument, he seems to be moving towards a more explicit talk about uh, spiritual warfare and a battle. Do you think the, the handgun illustration was, um, was appropriate for, for the pulpit or for any pulpit? I mean, hand, handguns um, get people in trouble these days if you hadn't noticed.
0: I had noticed. Um, I didn't have any issue with it for two reasons. One, I thought that it was um, kind of a, a direct... 21st century connection to Mm -hmm. what peter's talking about you know and i don't know the greek but i just you know arm yourselves like (laughs) yeah okay like that that's right obviously peter's not talking about pick up a gun no you in our context right and and to be fair or to your credit you did say well you can arm yourselves a bunch of different ways. You can arm yourselves just with your fists. Or you can mm-hmm. arm yourselves with all different things. Right. Um, but I also really... Um, I, I liked the imagery because of the seriousness of it. And you you know, really went um, kind of full throttle into helping drive that home with how serious this isn't, and in my notes as as you were preaching, I was taking notes and I wrote um, where was it? Um, There are eternal and mortal ramifications. Mm. And those weren't your words, those those are the things that were going through my head as you were preaching that that point. Um, And I think the handgun imagery helped solidify that for me like this is not something that you take lightly like this is literally a life or death situation that we're talking about i
1: i didn't i didn't go so far as to say i just acquired a handgun license uh here's what my gun looks like yeah i love guns it's so fun um i believe in the second amendment um you know my my buddy mike is packing you know it's awesome like i i didn't i didn't no get into gun porn no if i could be, be so blunt i recognize that there are people who might have experienced gun violence or are more sensitive to it my wife is one of them by the way um I'm not willing to not mention handguns from the pulpit in a positive sense mm-hmm. because of my own convictions but I want to do it in a way that is edifying and not distracting so I I was really walking a tightrope there even as you know it, it's just it's it's interesting how these where politics pops its head up yeah and if you're going to go there, you better be prepared to go there.
0: Yeah. Well, the point that you're making, or at least part of the point that you were making that I did write down is you said, we're not playing games. Yes. You know, we're playing for keeps here. Right. So how, to me, that's why I think that that kind of imagery or that right. reference is appropriate because it drives home the point that you're making, which is in the text, which is what Peter's trying to get across to
1: the now, church. In our, in our, we always have podcasts before the podcast, and no, those aren't available, so don't ask. They're, you have to be here if you want to hear that. But you mentioned, you didn't feel like my first point emphasized spiritual warfare, although you're not denying that as much as it was mortification.
0: That's just, I think that was the spirit working in me. Yeah, well, you
1: know. it's also working in Calvin, so I thought I'd, I'd read oh, this okay. quote just to... So I'm in good company. You're though, in good company. <laughs> um Uh, when This is Calvin on uh, verse 1. When he had before set forth Christ before us, he only spoke of the suffering of the cross. For sometimes the cross means mortification, because the outward man is wasted by afflictions, and our flesh it is also subdued. But now he ascends higher, for he speaks of the reformation of the whole man. The scripture recommends to us a twofold likeness to the death of Christ, that we are to be conformed to him in reproaches and troubles, and also that the old man being dead and extinct in us, we are, being, we are to be renewed to a spiritual life. Philippians 3.10, Romans 6.4 Yet Christ is not simply to be viewed as our example when we speak of the mortification of the flesh, but it is by his Spirit that we are really made conformable to his death. So that it becomes effectual to the crucifying of our flesh mm. is just. I mean, right out Calvin as not always, but often is the case. He's just right out of the gates, going after our hearts. Uh, he's a theologian of the Spirit. He never fails to mention the importance of the Holy Spirit in the Christian walk. And um, um, actually, I didn't read that in preparation for the sermon. I read it. Today in, in preparation for our, our mm. conversation, I was so pleased to see that uh, once again, Pastor Calvin is after our hearts in in his exposition of the text, and and I think you're you're right on the money. It's in some ways, if it's about spiritual warfare, it's the warfare of our of mortifying our flesh as we arm ourselves with our our baptism and all it it signifies through the Holy Spirit to be more conformed to Christ. And I don't think we normally think about baptism or the sacraments in spiritual warfare. Was that a new concept for you, Tim? Or does it fit in your framework? or, Or what are your thoughts on that?
0: Um, yeah, it's not something that I had thought, thought of, um, in the context of spiritual warfare, but I think it makes sense. I mean, I think it makes total sense. Um, and it certainly fits within the framework. It's just for whatever reason, I'll be honest with you. I think it's (laughs) because everyone immediately goes armor of God and and they go, well, they're spiritual Mm warfare. There it is. We mm-hmm. don't need to go anywhere else in the Bible for, sure. you know, arming ourselves for spiritual sure. battle. Um, so I thought that was, um, I don't want to say novel, like there's nothing new under the sun novel, right. but, you know, novel to me. Right. Um, and and certainly helpful. And it, it, certainly, it also tied in, obviously, to, to your previous week's sermon, um, which I appreciated. The time you spent on baptism mm-hmm. there, and it really got me thinking about um, the importance of it, not just the day, mm-hmm. but
1: yeah, for our life. Yeah. So the, the catechism, I think it's the larger catechism in particular, encourages us to improve our baptism. Have you heard this phrase before? Mm.
0: Yeah, I hadn't thought deeply about it, but yes.
1: Yeah, so this is... I I was kind of going after that Hmm. when I said last week and even when I brought it up again this week, you need to think about your baptism, be grateful for it, reflect on its importance, and I guess this week, arm yourself with all that it signifies and has sealed to you. Hmm.
0: Uh, uh, A little kind of offshoot on that. That has so much more um, significance to me thinking of covenantal baptism. And and I don't mean to bring up like a, a semi-prickly subject or go off on a tangent, but you, you mentioned it kind of, sort of, in, in your previous sermon, when, mm-hmm. you know, for for instance my kids and for your kids mm-hmm. they they don't remember their baptism like my daughter's not going to remember her baptism like the day of her baptism right but
1: so, so who's arming himself for her at this point in her life
0: yeah m- y- me y- you and your yeah, wife it is a weird way you it's hard to follow the yeah, so, question s- so
1: so you and Allie are arming yourselves on behalf of your daughter until such a time as she can take up that duty herself. Right. Um, Most of my Baptist friends, because I don't think this is a a fundamental issue over which we, we need to divide. uh, I I mean, practically speaking, we do divide over this. Um, That's maybe a topic for another podcast, but, um most of my Baptist friends agree with me on that that at some level they have a stewardship trust for their children mm-hmm. and they see their children as Christian children in a in a generic sense if not in a born again sense they 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 see them as Christian generally speaking i mean they're not muslim children and most of my Baptist friends are not radical anabaptists that see them as pagan until they're born again so so there's a, there's a covenantal borrowing that happens for many of my Baptists. And I think they're happy to borrow it. And, and I'm happy for them to borrow it. And although I think they're perhaps a little inconsistent, it doesn't bother me. Because I, I also borrow some Baptist things too. And so it makes us even. But your point being, you're taking up arms on behalf of your son and daughter until such a time as they're old enough to carry. Yeah and they get trained on, on the range and they know the safety protocols and, and can be trusted uh, and understand, you know, they, when they can discern the Lord's body and, and see what is involved. Um, so I, I love that. I think it's quite consistent that, and I did mention from the pulpit, for those of you who believe as adults, you, you are baptized and are armed one, in one of the same day, but if you're a child, then um, you were baptized before you were able to arm yourself. but now's the time. Mm. If you're hearing this sermon, now's the time. So preaching covenantally is is a is kind of art and craft mm. and I think that's one way we do it is we we give the covenant, you know, the 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 year old kids who are listening, we invite them into the sermon like that. We invite them into the, the preached word intentionally. So.
0: Well, one other thing I'll, I'll add about that, and just going back to the importance, so we're talking about the importance of your baptism, particularly in it being a, an arms for you in the spiritual battle that we live, right? So, um, the focus there, even though we say your baptism, is God's covenant, not you. Right. So, like, my daughter did not choose to be baptized. Right. Right. So, um, <clears throat> I So, lo- I love thinking about that because this is something God has done for me that I have become part of his covenant family because of him and what he's done for me. And therefore, it's not like, oh, it was my baptism that I'm relying on, like my baptism that I'm relying on. You see what I'm saying? That's an excellent
1: point. So one of my kids who uh, had a great education at a local Baptist school felt initially put off by... The fact that this was, oh, no, here's another talk about spiritual warfare. And this child feels that there have been an abundance of chapel talks about spiritual warfare, if you will. Mm-hmm. Within a covenantal reformed context, as we are as a church and as I am as, as a pastor and as a theologian, no matter whether you're baptized as an adult or a, or an infant, the first thing that happens is you are embraced by God and his promises. And as an adult, your faith is a recognition of his sovereign plan in your life. As I mentioned two weeks ago, or maybe three weeks ago, he, you are a chosen instrument. God has chosen you. Right. And the baptism is just, as an adult, you're catching up to you know, the plan, so to speak, right. you're just now finding out that there's this whole program that you get to participate in. And so your faith represents your ascent to God's program, which has been in place quite a while right. and which he's been trying to get your attention quite a while. And you've been not paying attention. Right. So that's true as a child too, is that God is, it, God is, uh, essentially embracing the child with his plan, but he's doing so uh, through the parents choice mm-hmm. as, as a holding place for the child's choice, hopefully someday soon. Um, this puts spiritual warfare in an entirely different context because it's not me clothing myself with armor like David discarded because it didn't fit him. Yeah. Okay? Which is kind of how some of the chapel talks and spiritual battle wind up going. It's like, you need to get your act together and get some righteousness strapped on because otherwise, you know, no wonder you're sinning so much and blah, blah, blah. Um, rather, Christ has clothed himself with righteousness which he earned and has graciously given you not his armor so much as his entire victory, which is symbolized by his armor. And so you actually go into battle already having won through Christ. And that union with Christ, which is symbolized and sealed in baptism, needs to be appropriated. That's a different kind of battle. Mm. Um, It's much more um it's it's more glorious it's more joyful it's there's less guilt and shame involved on the downside and the upside is you know as they say in investing the downside's limited and the upside's infinite mm-hmm. so so i think i think thinking about our you know what remaining time we have in this life in terms of a very limited downside and, and, and essentially an unlimited upside, I think that gives a, a lot of hope to a church. And that, that was kind of the third point. And maybe what helps us navigate the suffering, which is the second point of the sermon, it's a time for suffering.
0: Yeah. I was just going to say, you, you basically just summed up your last two points. Yeah, I did. With, which, with what you had just shared. Which is great. Um, it's extremely helpful. Ho- hopeful. Um, and it does, in my mind, enable me to persevere. I, I would like, if you, if we can, just pop to the second point for a second on suffering. Time for suffering. Yeah. Because speaking
1: of what time it is, we need to. We're drawing to a close here, Tim. Yeah.
0: yeah. we're we're getting close. But I, I want. I just want to add this because I really appreciated. Um, suffering is a, is a. Um, Suffering well is something I really struggle with. I think mm-hmm. most Christians struggle with that, I would imagine. And the Bible talks about suf- suffering so much. You know, it's kind of all over the place. It's unavoidable. Not in a bad way, actually in a very hope- hopeful way, um, like we were just talking about. But for whatever reason, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around that and accept that and and really understand it. And I just... I I guess I've fallen into the trap of going. All right, well, you know, it just is what it is. Suffering's part of the deal, so, you know, I just gotta. I guess I'm just gonna roll with those punches, you know, because that's what God, God says is gonna be the case. And then yesterday you you said um, suffering is fruitful, mm-hmm. and it produces something lovely, and something clicked in my mind. And you were explaining how, you know, um, Jesus says that you have to die to yourself, right? You have Mm -hmm. to take up your cross. So if you're thinking about the fruit that a Christian life should bear, which is, we'll just say, take the fruit of the Spirit for Mm -hmm. good examples there. The only way that comes about is by death of your flesh, of yourself. And death is suffering. Mm -hmm. So quite literally and logically, you cannot bear fruit without suffering. Mm. Like those two are 100% connected. Yeah. And that you you have to suffer in the sense of you have to die to yourself, which is suffering, in order to bear that fr- mm-hmm. fruit. And you can't have it without that. And I don't know why the way you said it yesterday, it clicked in it a clicked. different way in my mind. Right. It's not like I didn't realize that. It's just something about it I wrote a bunch of notes and I'm like, underlined a bunch of stuff and start. And I'm like, that just makes a lot more sense in in the way that was phrased out. And I thought it was very, very, very helpful to think about it that way. You can
1: see why a church goes into decline and becomes, quote unquote, a dying church when suffering is no longer a reality. Um, And. Uh, I was taught a long time ago that the minute a church is planted, it becomes a church revitalization project. Right. And ours was a church plant up until 2016 when we became kind of a self-governing church and a self-supporting church. And then in 2020, we have a building. Mm-hmm. So um, we are now a church revitalization project. So part of my my thinking in, in preaching through First Peter, and in even this sermon in particular, was um, I need to be reminded, I, I'm the first hearer of the sermon, and then all of us, and the, therefore probably others need to hear it too, that the fruitfulness that we need as a church can only come one way, as you point out. Yeah. That was definitely on my mind this morning as I was kind of reflecting on my own heart, having preached the sermon, and now I I get to live it out too. Uh, okay, Phil, here's a fresh start to the week. It's Monday morning. Uh, what what are you what are you going to do with what you heard hmm. from from the Lord? Mm-hmm. Are you going to take the easy way, or are you going to recognize, as you say, that? Suffering is is productive and fruitful in your life. And don't take every opportunity to blunt the surgeon's knife, to to deflect it. Hmm. But submit to it and see what good things God can bring.
0: Hmm. We could take that approach because Jesus suffered for us. That's right. And experiences suffering with us.
1: That's right. Which which I, I uh, borrowed that from Keller's book on suffering, which is it's such a it's a masterpiece. Uh, I mean, it's not a perfect book, but it's it's definitely like a magnum opus of uh, to me of of all the books that I've read of his. It's so so very well done, I, in his style. You know, he has a certain style. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but as we've been going through that course on Monday nights, um, walking with God through pain and suffering, I've, I've learned quite a bit and it's really helped. It was a not so secret attempt to give myself a, a learning lab where I can be growing in my, broadly speaking, on this topic while we're going through Peter. And I think it's definitely helped. I was glad to be able to share some of those lessons yesterday. Yeah uh, final thoughts, um, about the, the, maybe the, just the hope you feel today is uh, in sort of Monday going forward, the, (laughs) you know, um, takeaways, applications.
0: Um, yeah, I think the takeaways, um, for me yesterday, and as I've thought about it this morning, driving over here, is um. Don't be, don't let myself be deceived into um, that false, false comfort or false. I don't I don't know how to describe it. Just um, remember that I'm in a battle, right? Mm-hmm. Even though the whole world around me looks nice and peaceful mm-hmm. and. Tranquil and oh no, it's okay. Or you know, if if I'm struggling with something today, um, um, struggling with sin, don't don't be so naive to think oh well you know I'll deal with that tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, um, so th- that's kind of the first th- thing is kind of wake up, Tim. You know, wake up, be awake, be aware be um be ready in that regard and then the other the other takeaway um for me with this sermon was um that the hope is ho- hope is not far off you know so the, the suffering that we experience God, God promises that it will produce fruit and he's given us everything that we need in order to endure that mm-hmm. and he's using it and, you know, th- there is a time like there is a, there is a divinely appointed time that I have.
1: Yeah, you have yay so much time in the it. flesh. So you've spent enough time uh dilly dallying, as my mom used to say, yeah and uh now now it's time to get to get busy to arm yourself yeah. to suffer unto fruitfulness, and the thing that's going to help you through is that Jesus has gone before you and he's with you uh, it, it's stunning the mm-hmm. gift we've been given in mm-hmm. this uh in this Christian gospel um Yeah, super, super happy to to be counted amongst one of Jesus' people.
0: Amen. Amen. Yeah, um, there's a song, It's prob- I don't know if it's a hymn, technically, there's a song I really love, um, and the one line I was thinking about when we were talking about baptism, um, is, my Lord, I did not choose you, for that could never be, my heart would still refuse you, if you had not chosen me, mm-hmm. and I think about that quite frequently, mm-hmm. because that is kind of my da- my daily struggle. It's mm-hmm. like remembering that this wasn't, you know, I've been given a great gift here, and what am I going to do with that? Am I going to be the, the the bratty, petulant child? It's like ah, oh, it's not not enough, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I need more, or I want that better, or something, and not realize. Um, just how blessed I am to have been counted um, righteous because of Christ so yeah we got a lot of work to do but I I feel like you know I have what I need to do it we do
1: yeah so maybe our as we close maybe our prayer would be and our challenge for our listeners is to identify what is what is that work for today and then get after it Mm. come what may
0: amen i don't think we can close any better than that so we'll leave it at that we hope that you'll join us again next week on the deeper cut and until then god bless and have a good day